file thirteen of farthest north volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sharon riskadal farthest north by fritjof nansen volume two chapter seven land at last part three it was with pleasure that we at last on september seventh set to work to build our hut we had selected a good site in the neighborhood and from this time forward we might have been seen daily going out in the morning like other laborers with a can of drinking water in one hand and a gun in the other we quarried stones up among the debris from the cliff dragged them together dug out the site and built walls as well as we could we had no tools worth mentioning those we used most were our two hands the cut-off sledge-runner again did duty as a pick with which to loosen the fast-frozen stones and when we could not manage to dig up the earth on our site with our hands we used a snowshoe staff with an iron ferrule we made a spade out of the shoulder-blade of a walrus tied to a piece of broken snowshoe staff and a mattock out of a walrus tusk tied to the cross-tree of a sledge they were poor things to work with but we managed it with patience and little by little there arose solid walls of stone with moss and earth between the weather was growing gradually colder and hindered us not a little in our work the soil we had to dig in hardened and the stones that had to be quarried froze fast and there came snow too but great was our surprise when we crept out of our den on the morning of the twelfth of september to find the most delightful thaw with four degrees centigrade of heat thirty nine point two degrees fahrenheit this was almost the highest temperature we had experienced throughout the expedition on every side streams were tumbling in foaming falls down from mountain and glacier humming along merrily among the stones down to the sea water trickled and tinkled everywhere as if by a stroke of magic life had returned to frozen nature and the hill looked green all over one could fancy oneself far south and forget that a long long winter was drawing near the day after everything was changed again the gentle gods of the south who yesterday had put forth their last energies had once more fled the cold had returned snow had fallen and covered every trace it would not yield again this little strip of bare ground too was in the power of the genie of the cold and darkness they held sway now right down to the sea i stood looking out over it how desolate and forsaken this spellbound nature looked my eye fell upon the ground at my feet down there among the stones the poppy still reared its beautiful blossoms above the snow the last rays of the departing sun would once more kiss its yellow petals and then it would creep beneath its covering to sleep through the long winter and wake again to new life in the spring ah to be able to do the same after a week's work the walls of our hut were finished they were not high scarcely three feet above the ground but we had dug down the same distance into the ground so we reckoned that it would be high enough to stand up in now the thing was to get it roofed but this was not so easy the only materials we had towards it were as before mentioned the log we had found and the walrus hides the log which was quite twelve inches across johansen at last after a day's work succeeded in cutting in two with our little axe 
and with no less labor we rolled it up over the talus and on to the level and it was laid on the roof as the ridge piece then there were the hides but they were stiff and frozen fast to the meat and blubber heaps which they covered with much difficulty we at length loosened them by using wedges of walrus tusks stone and wood to transport these great skins over the long distance to our hut was a no less difficult matter however by rolling them carrying them and dragging them we accomplished this too but to get the frozen skins stretched over the hut was the worst of all we got on pretty well with three half-skins just managing to bend them a little but the fourth half was frozen quite stiff and we had to find a hole in the ice and sink it in the sea to thaw it it was almost a cause for anxiety i thought that all this time we saw nothing of any bears they were what we had to live upon all through the winter and the six we had would not go far i thought however that it might easily be accounted for as the fjord ice to which the bear prefers to keep had taken its departure on the day when we had nearly drifted out to sea with the walruses and i thought that when the ice now formed again bears would appear once more it was therefore a relief when one morning september twenty third i caught sight of a bear in front of me just as i came round the promontory to look at the skin that we had in soak in the sea it was standing on the shore close by the skin it had not seen me and i quickly drew back to let johansen who was following with his gun pass me while i ran back to fetch mine when i returned johansen lay on the same spot behind a stone and had not fired there were two bears one by the hut and one by the shore and johansen could not get up to the one without being seen by the other when i had gone after my gun the bear had turned its steps towards the hut but just as it reached it johansen suddenly saw two bears paws come quickly over the edge of the wall and hit out at the first bear and a head followed immediately after this fellow was busily gnawing at our roof hides which he had torn down and bent so that we had to put them into the sea too to get them thawed the first bear had to retreat to the shore once more where we afterwards discovered it had drawn up our hide and had been scraping the fat off it under cover of some hummocks we now ran towards it it noticed us and set off running and i was only able to send a bullet through its body from behind shouting out to johansen that he must look after the other bear i set off running and after a couple of hours pursuit up the fjord i at last chased it up under the wall of a glacier where it prepared to defend itself i went right up to it but it growled and hissed and made one or two attacks on me from the elevation on which it stood before i finally put an end to its existence when i got back johansen was busy skinning the other bear it had been alarmed by us when we attacked the first and had gone a long way out over the ice it had then returned to look for its companion, and Johansen had shot it. Our winter store was increasing. The next day, September 24th, as we were setting out to work at our hut, we saw a large herd of walruses lying out on the ice. We had both had more than enough of these animals and had very little inclination for them. Johansen was of candid opinion that we had no need for them and could let them lie in peace but i thought it was rather improvident to have food and fuel lying at one's very door and make no use of them so we set off with our guns 
to steal up to the animals under cover of some elevations on the ice was a matter of small difficulty and we had soon come within forty feet of them and could lie there quietly and watch them the point was to choose one's victim and make good use of one's shot so as not to waste cartridges there were both old and young animals and having had more than enough of big ones we decided to try for the two smallest that we could see we thought we had no need of more than two as we lay waiting for them to turn their heads and give us the chance of a good shot we had plenty of opportunity to watch them they are strange animals they lay incessantly poking one another in the back with their huge tusks both the big old ones and the little young ones if one of them turned over a little so as to come near and disturb his neighbor the latter immediately raised itself grunting and dug its tusks into the back of the first it was by no means a gentle caress and it is well for them that they have such a thick hide but as it was the blood ran down the backs of several of them the other would perhaps start up too and return the little attention in the same manner but it was when another guest came up from the sea that there was a stir in the camp they all grunted in chorus and one of the old bulls that lay nearest to the new arrival gave him some well-meant blows the newcomer however drew himself cautiously up bowed respectfully and little by little drew himself in among the others who also then gave him as many blows as time and circumstances would permit until they finally composed themselves again and lay quiet until another interruption came we waited in vain for the animals we had picked out to turn their heads enough to let us get a good shot but as they were comparatively small we thought that a bullet in the middle of the forehead might be enough for them and at last we fired they started up however and turned over half stunned into the water then there was a commotion the whole herd quickly raised their ugly heads glared at us and one by one plunged out over the edge of the ice we had hastily loaded again and as it was not difficult now to get a good shot we fired and there lay two animals one young and one old most of the others dived only one remaining quietly lying and looking wonderingly now at its two dead companions and now at us as we came up to it we did not quite know what to do we thought that the two that were now lying there would give us more than enough to do but nevertheless it was tempting to take this great monster as well while we were about it while johansen was standing with his gun considering whether he should fire or not i took the opportunity of photographing both him and the walrus it ended however in our letting it go unharmed we did not think we could afford to sacrifice more cartridges upon it meantime the water beyond was seething with furious animals as they broke up the ice round about and filled the air with their roaring the big bull himself seemed especially anxious to get at us he kept returning to the edge of the ice getting half up onto it to grunt and bellow at us and look long at his dead comrades whom he evidently wished to take with him but we would not waste more cartridges upon them and he threw himself back only to return again immediately gradually the whole herd departed and we could hear the big bull's grunting becoming more and more distant but suddenly his huge head appeared again at the edge of the ice close to us as he challenged us with a roar and then disappeared again as quickly as he had come this was repeated three or four times after our having in the intervals heard him far out 
but at last he disappeared entirely and we continued our work of skinning in peace we very quickly skinned the smaller of the walruses it was easy to manipulate compared to those we were accustomed to the other however was a great fellow that could not be easily turned over in the hollow in the snow where he lay so we contented ourselves with skinning one side from head to tail and then went home again with our blubber and skins we now thought we should have blubber enough for winter fuel and had also abundance of skins for covering the roof of our hut the walruses still kept near us for some time every now and then we would hear some violent blows on the ice from beneath two or three in succession and then a great head would burst up with a crash through the ice it would remain there for a time panting and puffing so that it would be heard a long way off and then vanish again on september twenty fifth while we were pulling our roof hides out of the water at a hole near the shore we heard the same crashing in the ice a little farther out and a walrus came up and then dived again look there it won't be long before we have him in this hole the words were scarcely spoken when our hide in the water was pushed aside and a huge head with bristles and two long tusks popped up in front of us it gazed fixedly and wickedly at us standing there then there was a tremendous splash and it was gone our hides were now so far softened in the sea that we could stretch them over the roof they were so long that they reached from one side of the hut right over the ridge piece down to the other side and we stretched them by hanging large stones at both ends attached by strips of hide thus weighing them down over the edges of the wall and we then piled stones upon them by the aid of stones moss strips of hide and snow to cover everything we made the edges of the walls to some extent close-fitting to make the hut habitable we still had to construct benches of stone to lie upon inside it and also a door this consisted of an opening in one corner of the wall which led into a short passage dug out in the ground and subsequently roofed over with blocks of ice on very much the same principle as the passage to an eskimo's house we had not dug this passage so long as we wished before the ground was frozen too hard for our implements it was so low that we had to creep through it in a squatting posture to get into the hut the inner opening was covered with a bearskin curtain sewed firmly to the walrus hide of the roof the outer end was covered with a loose bearskin laid over the opening it began to grow cold now as low as minus twenty degrees centigrade four degrees below zero fahrenheit and living in our low den where we had not room to move became more and more intolerable the smoke too from the oil lamp when we did any cooking always affected our eyes we grew daily more impatient to move into our new house which now appeared to us the acme of comfort our ever-recurring remark while we were building was how nice and snug it would be when we got in and we depicted to each other the many pleasant hours we should spend there we were of course anxious to discover all the bright points that we could in our existence the hut was certainly not large it was ten feet long and six feet wide and when you lay across it you kicked the wall on one side and butted it on the other you could move in it a little however and even i could almost stand upright under the roof this was a thought which especially appealed to us fancy having a place sheltered from the wind where you could stretch your limbs a little we had not had that since last march on board the fram 
it was long however before everything was in order and we would not move in until it was quite finished the day we had skinned our last walruses i had taken several tendons from their backs thinking they might be very useful when we made ourselves clothes for the winter for we were entirely without thread for that purpose not until a few days afterwards september twenty sixth did i recollect that these tendons had been left on the ice beside the carcasses i went out there to look for them but found to my sorrow that gulls and foxes had long since made away with them it was some comfort however to find traces of a bear which must have been at the carcasses during the night and as i looked about i caught sight of johansen running after me making signs and pointing out towards the sea i turned that way and there was a large bear walking to and fro and looking at us we had soon fetched our guns and while johansen remained near the land to receive the bear if it came that way i made a wide circuit round it on the ice to drive it landward if it should prove to be frightened in the meantime it had lain down out there beside some holes i suppose to watch for seals i stole up to it it saw me and at first came nearer but then thought better of it and moved away again slowly and majestically out over the new ice i had no great desire to follow it in that direction and though the range was long i thought i must try it first one shot it passed over then one more that hit the bear started made several leaps and then in anger struck the ice until it broke and the bear fell through there it lay splashing and splashing and breaking the thin ice with its weight as it tried to get out again i was soon beside it but did not want to sacrifice another cartridge i had faint hopes too that it would manage to get out of the water by itself and thus save us the trouble of dragging such a heavy animal out i called to johansen to come with a rope sledges and knives and in the meantime i walked up and down waiting and watching the bear labored hard and made the opening in the ice larger and larger it was wounded in one of its forelegs so that it could use only the other and the two hind legs it kept on taking hold and pulling itself up but no sooner had it got half up than the ice gave way and it sank down again by degrees its movements became more and more feeble till at last it only lay still and panted then came a few spasms its legs stiffened its head sank down into the water and all was still while i was walking up and down i several times heard walruses round about as they butted holes in the ice and put their heads through and i was thinking to myself that i should soon have them here too at that moment the bear received a violent blow from beneath pushing it to one side and up came a huge head with great tusks it snorted and looked contemptuously at the bear then gazed for a while wonderingly at me as i stood on the ice and finally disappeared again this had the effect of making me think the old solid ice a little farther in a pleasanter place of sojourn than the new ice my suspicion that the walrus entertained no fear for the bear was more than ever strengthened at last johansen came with a rope we slipped a running noose round the bear's neck and tried to haul it out but soon discovered that this was beyond our power all we did was to break the ice under the animal wherever we tried it seemed hard to have to give it up it was a big bear and seemed to be unusually fat but to continue in this way until we had towed up to the edge of the thick ice would be a lengthy proceeding 
by cutting quite a narrow crack in the new ice only wide enough to draw the rope through up to the edge of a large piece of ice which was quite near we got pretty well out of the difficulty it was now an easy matter to draw the bear thither under the ice and after breaking a sufficiently large hole we drew it out there at last we had got it skinned and cut up and heavily laden with our booty we turned our steps homeward late in the evening to our den as we approached the beach where our kayaks were lying upon one of our heaps of walrus blubber and meat johansen suddenly whispered to me i say look there i looked up and there stood three bears on the heaps tearing at the blubber they were a she-bear and two young ones oh dear said i shall we have to set to at bears again i was tired and to tell the truth had far more desire for our sleeping-bag and a good potful of meat in a trice we had got our guns out and were approaching cautiously but they had caught sight of us and set off over the ice it was with an undeniable feeling of gratitude that we watched their retreating forms a little later while i was standing cutting up the meat and johansen had gone to fetch water i heard him whistle i looked up and he pointed out over the ice there in the dusk were the three bears coming back our blubber heap had been too tempting for them i crept with my gun behind some stones close to the heap the bears came straight on looking neither to right nor left and as they passed me i took as good an aim at the she-bear as the darkness would allow and fired she roared bit her side and all three set off out over the ice there the mother fell and the young ones stood astonished and troubled beside her until we approached when they fled and it was impossible to get within range of them they kept at a respectful distance and watched us while we dragged the dead bear to land and skinned it when we went out next morning they were standing sniffing at the skin and meat but before we could get within range they saw us and were off again we now saw that they had been there all night and had eaten up their own mother's stomach which had contained some pieces of blubber in the afternoon they returned once more and again we attempted but in vain to get a shot at them next morning saturday september twenty eighth when we crawled out we caught sight of a large bear lying asleep on our blubber heap johansen crept up close to it under cover of some stones the bear heard something moving raised its head and looked round at the same instant johansen fired and the bullet went right through the bear's throat just below the cranium it got slowly up looked contemptuously at johansen considered a little and then walked quietly away with long measured steps as if nothing had happened it soon had a couple of bullets from each of us in its body and fell out on the thin ice it was so full of food that as it lay there blubber and oil and water ran out of its mouth onto the ice which began gradually to sink under its weight until it lay in a large pool and we hastily dragged it into the shore before the ice gave way beneath it it was one of the largest bears i have ever seen but also one of the leanest for there was not a trace of fat upon it neither underneath the skin nor among the entrails it must have been fasting for a long time and been uncommonly hungry for it had consumed an incredible quantity of our blubber and how it had pulled it about first it had thrown one kayak off then it had scattered the blubber about in all directions scraping off the best of the fat upon almost every single piece 
then it had gathered the blubber together again in another place and then happy with the happiness of satiety had lain down to sleep upon it perhaps so as to have it handy when it woke up again previous to attacking the blubber heap it had accomplished another piece of work which we only discovered later on it had killed both the young bears that had been visiting us we found them not far off with broken skulls and frozen stiff we could see by the footprints how it had run after them out over the new ice first one and then the other and had dragged them on land and laid them down without touching them again what pleasure it can have in doing this i do not understand but it must have regarded them as competitors in the struggle for food or was it perhaps a cross old gentleman who did not like young people it is so nice and quiet here now said the ogre when he had cleared the country our winter store now began quite to inspire confidence at length on the evening of that day we moved into our new hut but our first night there was a cold one hitherto we had slept in one bag all the time and even the one we had made by sewing together our two blankets had been fairly adequate but now we thought it would not be necessary to sleep in one bag any longer as we should make the hut so warm by burning train oil lamps in it that we could very well lie each in our own berth with a blanket over us and so we had unpicked the bag lamps were made by turning up the corners of some sheets of german silver filling them with crushed blubber and laying in this by way of a wick some pieces of stuff from the bandages in the medicine bag they burned capitally and gave such a good light too that we thought it looked very snug but it neither was nor ever would be sufficient to warm our still rather permeable hut and we lay and shivered with cold all night we almost thought it was the coldest night we had had breakfast next morning tasted excellent and the quantity of bear broth we consumed in order to put a little warmth into our bodies is incredible we at once decided to alter this by making along the back wall of the hut a sleeping shelf broad enough for us to lie beside one another the blankets were sewed together again we spread bearskins under us and were as comfortable as we could be under the circumstances and we made no further attempt to part company at night it was impossible to make the substratum at all even with the rough angular stones which now that everything was frozen were all we had at our disposal and therefore we lay tossing and twisting the whole winter to find something like a comfortable place among all the knobs but it was hard and remained so and we always had some tender spots on our body and even sores on our hips with lying but for all that we slept in one corner of the hut we made a little hearth to boil and roast upon in the roof above we cut a round hole in the walrus hide and made a smoke board up to it of bearskin we had not used this hearth long before we saw the necessity of building a chimney to prevent the wind from beating down and so filling the hut with smoke as to make it sometimes intolerable the only materials we had for building this were ice and snow but with these we erected a grand chimney on the roof which served its purpose and made a good draught it was not quite permanent however the hole in it constantly widened with use and it was not altogether guiltless of sometimes dripping down onto the hearth 
but there was abundance of this building material and it was not difficult to renew the chimney when it was in need of repair this had to be done two or three times during the course of the winter on more exposed spots we employed walrus flesh bone and such like materials to strengthen it our cookery was as simple as possible it consisted in boiling bear's flesh and soup bouillon in the morning and frying steak in the evening we consumed large quantities at every meal and strange to say we never grew tired of this food but always ate it with a ravenous appetite we sometimes either ate blubber with it or dipped the pieces of meat in a little oil a long time might often pass when we ate almost nothing but meat and scarcely tasted fat but when one of us felt inclined for it again he would perhaps fish up some pieces of burnt blubber out of the lamps or eat what was left of the blubber from which we had melted the lamp oil we called these cakes and thought them uncommonly nice and we were always talking of how delicious they would have been if we could have had a little sugar on them we still had some of the provisions we had brought from the fram but these we decided not to use during the winter they were placed in a depot to be kept until the spring when we should move on the depot was well loaded with stones to prevent the foxes from running away with the bags they were impudent enough already and took all the movable property they could lay hold of i discovered for instance on october tenth that they had gone off with a quantity of odds and ends i had left in another depot during the erection of the hut they had taken everything that they could possibly carry with them such as pieces of bamboo steel wire harpoons and harpoon lines my collection of stones mosses etc which were stored in small sailed cloth bags perhaps the worst of all was that they had gone off with a large ball of twine which had been our hope and comfort when thinking of the time when we should want to make clothes shoes and sleeping bags of bearskin for the winter for we had reckoned on making thread out of the twine it was fortunate that they had not gone off with the theodolite and our other instruments which stood there but these must have been too heavy for them i was angry when i made this discovery and what made it more aggravating it happened on my birthday and matters did not improve when while hunting about in the twilight on the beach above the place where the things had been lying to see if i could at any rate discover tracks to show which way those demons had taken them i met a fox that stopped at a distance of twenty feet from me sat down and uttered some exasperating howls so piercing and weird that i had to stop my ears it was evidently on its way to my things again and was now provoked at being disturbed i got hold of some large stones and flung them at it it ran off a little way but then seated itself upon the edge of the glacier and howled on while i went home to the hut in a rage lay down and speculated as to what we should do to be revenged on the obnoxious animals we could not spare cartridges to shoot them with but we might make a trap of stones this we determined to do but nothing ever came of it there were always so many other things to occupy us at first while we still had the opportunity before the snow covered the talus and while it was light enough to find suitable stones meanwhile the foxes continued to annoy us one day they had taken our thermometer which we always kept outside the hut and gone off with it 
we searched for it in vain for a long time until at last we found it buried in a heap of snow a little way off from that time we were very careful to place a stone over it at night but one morning found that the foxes had turned over the stone and had gone off with the thermometer again the only thing we found this time was the case which they had thrown away a little way off the thermometer itself we were never to see again the snow had unfortunately drifted in the night so that the tracks had disappeared goodness only knows what foxhole it now adorns but from that day we learned a lesson and henceforward fastened our last thermometer securely meanwhile time passed the sun sank lower and lower until on october fifteenth we saw it for the last time above the ridge to the south the days grew rapidly darker and then began our third polar night we shot two more bears in the autumn one on the eighth and one on the twenty first of october but from that time we saw no more until the following spring when i awoke on the morning of october eighth i heard the crunching of heavy steps in the snow outside and then began a rummaging about among our meat and blubber up on the roof i could hear it was a bear and crept out with my gun but when i came out of the passage i could see nothing in the moonlight the animal had noticed me and had already disappeared we did not altogether regret this as we had no great desire to set to at the cold task of skinning now in the wind and with thirty nine degrees seventy point two degrees fahrenheit of frost there was not much variety in our life it consisted in cooking and eating breakfast in the morning then perhaps came another nap after which we would go out to get a little exercise of this however we took no more than was necessary as our clothes saturated as they were with fat and worn and torn in many places were not exactly adapted for remaining in the open air in winter our wind clothes which we should have had outside as a protection against the wind were so worn and torn that we could not use them and we had so little thread to patch them with that i did not think we ought to use any of it until the spring when we had to prepare for our start i had counted on being able to make ourselves clothes of bearskins but it took time to cleanse them from all blubber and fat and it was even a slower business getting them dried the only way to do this was to spread them out under the roof of the hut but there was room for only one at a time when at last one was ready we had first of all to use it on our bed for we were lying on raw greasy skins which were gradually rotting when our bed had been put in order with dried skins we had to think about making a sleeping bag as after a time the blanket bag that we had got rather cold to sleep in about christmas time accordingly we at last managed to make ourselves a bearskin bag in this way all the skins we could prepare were used up and we continued to wear the clothes we had throughout the winter these walks too were a doubtful pleasure because there is always a wind there and it blew hard under the steep cliff we felt it a wonderful relief when it occasionally happened to be almost calm as a rule the wind howled above us and lashed the snow along so that everything was wrapped in mist many days would sometimes pass almost without our putting our heads out of the passage and it was only bare necessity that drove us out to fetch ice for drinking water or a leg or carcass of a bear for food or some blubber for fuel 
as a rule we also brought in some sea-water ice or if there were an opening or crack to be found a little sea-water for our soup when we came in and had mustered up appetite for another meal we had to prepare supper eat till we were satisfied and then get into our bag and sleep as long as possible to pass the time on the whole we had quite a comfortable time in our hut by means of our train oil lamps we could keep the temperature in the middle of the room at about freezing point near the wall however it was considerably colder and there the damp deposited itself in the shape of beautiful hoarfrost crystals so that the stones were quite white and in happy moments we could dream that we dwelt in marble halls this splendor however had its disadvantages for when the outside temperature rose or when we heated up the hut a little rivulets ran down the wall into our sleeping-bag we took turns at being cook and tuesday when one ended his cooking week and the other began afforded on that account the one variation in our lives and formed a boundary mark by which we divided out our time we always reckoned up how many cooking weeks we had before we should break up our camp in the spring i'd hoped to get so much done this winter work up my observations and notes and write some of the account of our journey but very little was done it was not only the poor flickering light of the oil lamp which hindered me nor yet the uncomfortable position either lying on one's back or sitting up and fidgeting about on the hard stones while the part of the body thus exposed to pressure ached but altogether these surroundings did not predispose one to work the brain worked dully and i never felt inclined to write anything perhaps too this was owing to the impossibility of keeping what you wrote upon clean if you only took hold of a piece of paper your fingers left a dark brown greasy mark and if a corner of your clothes brushed across it a dark streak appeared our journals of this period look dreadful they are black books in the literal sense of the term ah how we longed for the time when we should once more be able to write on clean white paper and with black ink i often had difficulty in reading the pencil notes i had written the day before and now in writing this book it is all i can do to find out what was once written on these dirty dark brown pages i expose them to all possible lights i examine them with a magnifying glass but notwithstanding i often have to give it up the entries in my journal for this time are exceedingly meagre there are sometimes weeks when there is nothing but the most necessary meteorological observations with remarks the chief reason for this is that our life was so monotonous that there was nothing to write about the same thoughts came and went day after day there was no more variety in them than in our conversation the very emptiness of the journal really gives the best representation of our life during the nine months we lived there wednesday november twenty seventh minus twenty three degrees centigrade nine point four degrees below zero fahrenheit it is windy weather the snow whirling about your ears directly you put your head out of the passage everything is gray the black stones can be made out in the snow a little way up the beach and above you can just divine the presence of the dark cliff but wherever else the gaze is turned out to sea or up the fjord there is the same leaden darkness one is shut out from the wide world shut into oneself 
the wind comes in sharp gusts driving the snow before it but up under the crest of the mountain it whistles and roars in the crevices and holes of the basaltic walls the same never-ending song that it has sung through the thousands of years that are past and will go on singing through thousands of years to come and the snow whirls along in its age-old dance it spreads itself in all the crevices and hollows but it does not succeed in covering up the stones on the beach black as ever they project into the night on the open space in front of the hut two figures are running up and down like shadows in the winter darkness to keep themselves warm and so they will run up and down on the path they have trampled out day after day till the spring comes sunday december first wonderfully beautiful weather for the last few days one can never weary of going up and down outside while the moon transforms the whole of this ice world into a fairyland the hut is still in shadow under the mountain which hangs above it dark and lowering but the moonlight floats over ice and fjord and is cast back glittering from every snowy ridge and hill a weird beauty without feeling as though of a dead planet built of shining white marble just so must the mountain stand there frozen and icy cold just so must the lakes lie congealed beneath their snowy covering and now as ever the moon sails silently and slowly on her endless course through the lifeless space and everything so still so awfully still with the silence that shall one day reign when the earth again becomes desolate and empty when the fox will no more haunt these moraines when the bear will no longer wander about on the ice out there when even the wind will not rage infinite silence in the flaming aurora borealis the spirit of space hovers over the frozen waters the soul bows down before the majesty of night and death monday december second morning Today I can hear it blowing again outside, and we shall have an unpleasant walk. It is bitterly cold now in our worn, greasy clothes. It is not so bad when there is no wind, but even if there is only a little, it goes right through one. But what does it matter? Will not the spring one day come here too? Yes, and over us arches the same heaven, now as always, high and calm as ever and as we walk up and down here shivering we gaze into the boundless starry space and all our privations and sorrows shrink into nothingness starlight night thou art sublimely beautiful but dost thou not lend our spirit to mighty wings greater than we can control couldst thou but solve the riddle of existence we feel ourselves the center of the universe and struggle for life for immortality one seeking it here another hereafter while thy silent splendor proclaims at the command of the eternal you came into existence on a paltry planet as diminutive links in the endless chain of transformations at another command you will be wiped out again who then through an eternity of eternities will remember that there once was an ephemeral being who could bind sound and light in chains and who was purblind enough to spend years of his brief existence in drifting through frozen seas is then the whole thing but the meteor of a moment 
will the whole history of the world evaporate like a dark gold-edged cloud in the glow of evening achieving nothing leaving no trace passing like a caprice evening that fox is playing us a great many tricks whatever he can move he goes off with he has once gnawed off the band with which the door-skin is fastened, and every now and then we hear him at it again, and have to go out and knock on the roof of the passage. Today he went off with one of our sails in which our salt-water ice was lying. We were not a little alarmed when we went to fetch ice and found sail and all gone. We had no doubt as to who had been there, but we could not under any circumstances afford to lose our precious sail on which we depended for our voyage to Spitzbergen in the spring, and we tramped about in the dark, up the beach, over the level, and down towards the sea. We looked everywhere, but nothing was to be seen of it. At last we had almost given it up when Johansen, in going on to the ice to get more salt-water ice, found it at the edge of the shore. Our joy was great, but it was wonderful that the fox had been able to drag that great sail, full of ice, too, so far. Down there, however, it had come unfolded, and then he could do nothing with it. But what does he want with things like this? Is it to lie upon in his winter den? One would almost think so. I only wish I could come upon that den and find a thermometer again, and the ball of twine, and the harpoon line, and all the other precious things he has taken, the brute. Thursday, December 5th. It seems as if it would never end but patience a little longer, and spring will come, the fairest spring that earth can give us. There is furious weather outside, and snow, and it is pleasant to lie here in our warm hut, eating steak, and listening to the wind raging over us. Tuesday, December 10th. It has been a bad wind. Johansen discovered today that his kayak had disappeared. After some search, he found it again several hundred feet off, up the beach, it was a good deal knocked about, too. The wind must first have lifted it right over my kayak, and then over one big stone after another. It begins to be too much of a good thing when even the kayaks take to flying about in the air. The atmosphere is dark out over the sea, so the wind has probably broken up the ice and driven it out, and there is open water once more. Last night it all at once grew wonderfully calm, and the air was surprisingly mild. It was delightful to be out, and it is long since we have had such a long walk on our beat. It does one good to stretch one's legs now and then, otherwise I suppose we should become quite stiff here in our winter lair. Fancy, only twelve degrees, twenty-one and a half degrees Fahrenheit, a frost, in the middle of December. We might almost imagine ourselves at home— Forget that we were in a land of snow to the north of the 81st parallel. Thursday, December 12th. Between 6 and 9 this morning there were a number of shooting stars, most of them in Serpentarius. Some came right from the Great Bear. Afterwards they chiefly came from Bull, or Aldebaran, or the Pleiades. Several of them were very bright, and some drew a streak of shining dust after them. Lovely weather. But night and day are now equally dark. We walk up and down, up and down, on the level, in the darkness. Heaven only knows how many steps we shall take on that level before the winter ends. 
through the gloom we could see faintly only the black cliffs and the rocky ridges and the great stones on the beach which the wind always sweeps clean above us the sky clear and brilliant with stars sheds its peace over the earth far in the west falls shower after shower of stars some faint scarcely visible others bright like roman candles all with a message from distant worlds low in the south lies a bank of clouds now and again outlined by the gleam of the northern lights but out over the sea the sky is dark there is open water there it is quite pleasant to look at one does not feel so shut in it is like a connecting link with life that dark sea the mighty artery of the world which carries tidings from land to land from people to people on which civilization is borne victorious through the earth next summer it will carry us home thursday december nineteenth minus twenty eight point five degrees nineteen point three degrees below zero fahrenheit it has turned cold again and is bitter weather to be out in but what does it signify we are comfortable and warm in here and do not need to go out more than we like all the out-of-door work we have is to bring in fresh and salt-water ice two or three times a week meat and blubber now and again and very occasionally a skin to dry under the roof and christmas the season of rejoicing is drawing near at home every one is busy now scarcely knowing how to get time for everything but here there is no bustle all we want is to make the time pass ah to sleep sleep the pot is simmering pleasantly over the hearth i am sitting waiting for breakfast and gazing into the flickering flames while my thoughts travel far away what is the strange power in fire and light that all created beings seek them from the primary lump of protoplasm in the sea to the roving child of man who stops in his wanderings makes up a fire in the wood and sits down to dismiss all care and revel in the crackling warmth involuntarily do these snake-like fiery tongues arrest the eye you gaze down into them as if you could read your fate there and memories glide past in motley train what there is privation what the present forget it forget yourself you have the power to recall all that is beautiful and then wait for the summer by the light of the lamp she sits sewing in the winter evening beside her stands a little maiden with blue eyes and golden hair playing with a doll she looks tenderly at the child and strokes her hair but her eyes fill and the big tears fall upon her work johansen is lying beside me asleep he smiles in his sleep poor fellow he must be dreaming he is at home at christmas time with those he loves but sleep on sleep and dream while the winter passes for then comes spring the spring of life sunday december twenty second walked about outside for a long time yesterday evening while johansen was having a thorough cleaning in the hut in preparation for christmas this consisted chiefly in scraping the ashes out of the hearth gathering up the refuse of bone and meat and throwing it away and then breaking up the ice which has frozen together with all kinds of rubbish and refuse into a thick layer upon the floor making the hut rather low in the roof the northern lights were wonderful however often we see this weird play of light we never tire of gazing at it 
it seems to cast a spell over both sight and sense till it is impossible to tear oneself away it begins to dawn with a pale yellow spectral light behind the mountain in the east like the reflection of a fire far away it broadens and soon the whole of the eastern sky is one glowing mass of fire now it fades again and gathers in a brightly luminous belt of mist stretching towards the southwest with only a few patches of a luminous haze visible here and there after a while scattered rays suddenly shoot up from the fiery mist almost reaching to the zenith then more they play over the belt in a wild chase from east to west they seem to be always darting nearer from a long long way off but suddenly a perfect veil of rays showers from the zenith out over the northern sky they are so fine and bright like the finest of glittering silver threads is it the fire giant sirt himself striking his mighty silver harp so that the strings tremble and sparkle in the glow of the flames of muspelsheim yes it is harp music wildly storming in the darkness it is the riotous war-dance of sirt's sons and again at times it is like softly playing gently rocking silvery waves on which dreams travel into unknown worlds the winter solstice has come and the sun is at its lowest but still at midday we can just see a faint glimmer of it over the ridges in the south now it is again beginning to mount northward day by day it will grow lighter and lighter and the time will pass rapidly oh how well i can now understand our forefathers old custom of holding an uproarious sacrificial banquet in the middle of winter when the power of the winter darkness was broken we would hold an uproarious feast here if we had anything to feast with but we have nothing what need is there either we shall hold our silent festival in the spirit and think of the spring in my walk i look at jupiter over there above the crest of the mountain jupiter the planet of the home it seems to smile at us and i recognize my good attendant spirit am i superstitious this life and this scenery might well make one so and in fact is not every one superstitious each in his own way have not i a firm belief in my star and that we shall meet again it has scarcely forsaken me for a day death i believe can never approach before one's mission is accomplished never comes without one feeling its proximity and yet a cold fate may one day cut the thread without warning tuesday december twenty fourth at two p m today minus twenty four degrees centigrade eleven point two degrees below zero fahrenheit and this is christmas eve cold and windy out of doors and cold and draughty indoors how desolate it is never before have we had such a christmas eve at home the bells are now ringing christmas in i can hear their sound as it swings through the air from the church tower how beautiful it is now the candles are being lighted on the christmas trees the children are let in and dance round in joyous delight i must have a christmas party for children when i get home this is the time of rejoicing and there is feasting in every cottage at home and we are keeping the festival in our little way johansen has turned his shirt and put the outside shirt next to him i have done the same and then i have changed my drawers and put on the others that i had wrung out in warm water 
and I have washed myself, too, in a quarter of a cup of warm water with the discarded drawers as sponge and towel. Now I feel quite another being. My clothes do not stick to my body as much as they did. Then for supper we had fiskegratin, made of powdered fish and maize meal, with train oil to it instead of butter, both fried and boiled, one as dry as the other, and for dessert we had bread fried in train oil. Tomorrow morning we are going to have chocolate and bread. Wednesday, December 25th. We have got lovely Christmas weather, hardly any wind, and such bright, beautiful moonlight. It gives one quite a solemn feeling. It is the peace of thousands of years. In the afternoon the northern lights were exceptionally beautiful. When I came out at six o'clock there was a bright pale yellow bow in the southern sky. It remained for a long time almost unchanged, and then began to grow much brighter at the upper margin of the bow behind the mountain crests in the east. It smoldered for some time, and then all at once light darted out westward along the bow. Streamers shot up all along it towards the zenith, and in an instant the whole of the southern sky from the ark to the zenith was aflame. It flickered and blazed, it whirled round like a whirlwind, moving with the sun. Rays darted backward and forward, now red and reddish-violet, now yellow-green and dazzling white. Now the rays were red at the bottom and yellow and green farther up, and then again this order was inverted. Higher and higher it rose. Now it came on the north side of the zenith, too. For a moment there was a splendid corona, and then it all became one whirling mass of fire up there. It was like a whirlpool of fire in red, yellow, and green, and the eye was dazzled with looking at it. It then drew across to the northern sky, where it remained a long time, but not in such brilliancy. The arc from which it had sprung in the south was still visible, but soon disappeared. The movement of the rays was chiefly from west to east, but sometimes the reverse. It afterwards flared up brightly several times in the northern sky. I counted as many as six parallel bands at one time, but they did not attain to the brightness of the former ones. And this is Christmas Day. There are family dinners going on at home. I can see the dignified old father standing smiling and happy in the doorway to welcome children and grandchildren. Out of doors the snow is falling softly and silently in big flakes. The young folk come rushing in fresh and rosy, stamp the snow off their feet in the passage, shake their things and hang them up, and then enter the drawing-room, where the fire is crackling comfortably and cozily in the stove, and they can see the snowflakes falling outside and covering the Christmas corn-sheaf. A delicious smell of roasting comes from the kitchen, and in the dining-room the long table is laid for a good old-fashioned dinner with good old wine. How nice and comfortable everything is! One might fall ill with longing to be home, but wait, wait, when summer comes. Oh, the road to the stars is both long and difficult. Tuesday, December 31st, and this year, too, is vanishing. It has been strange, but after all, it has perhaps not been so bad. They are ringing out the old year now at home. Our church bell is the icy wind howling over glacier and snowfield, howling fiercely as it whirls the drifting snow on high in cloud after cloud, and sweeps it down upon us from the crest of the mountain up yonder. 
far in up the fjord you can see the clouds of snow chasing one another over the ice in front of the gusts of wind and the snow dust glittering in the moonlight and the full moon sails silent and still out of one year into another she shines alike upon the good and the evil nor does she notice the wants and yearnings of the new year solitary forsaken hundreds of miles from all that one holds dear but the thoughts flit restlessly to and fro on their silent paths once more a leaf is turned in the book of eternity a new blank page is opened and no one knows what will be written on it End of file thirteen